Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a member of Big Grande. Maybe you heard him on Comedy Bang Bang, Man Dog Pod, or my personal favorite podcast, Teacher's Lounge. Please welcome Ryan Rosenberg. Hey, what's happening, audience and George? (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, Crowd everybody cheering. Nuts. Yes, yes, great. <laughs> I love that. That felt good. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your just history with horror? If it's something you've been into for a while, if it's something you kind of dip your toes into. Yes, I growing up was never a big horror fan just because I got scared really easily. Uh, I remember seeing the not that scary movie What Lies Beneath <laughs> and being totally freaked out and was like, okay, and these aren't for me. And that movie is more of probably even like a thriller than a horror movie. So horror was definitely not my thing. Nobody in my family really watched it. But as I got older and got more into comedy, like comedy nerds love horror. And so all my friends are obsessed with horror and I came to it a little bit late and was like, are we sure? Are we sure, are we sure it's fun to be scared? And so I, I like it a lot now, but... I'm definitely more into the like premise genre stuff than the like horror porn stuff. Like I don't sure. need it to be super scary, but I like when there's a little bit more of like some sort of device there, you know? Absolutely. Is there a subgenre that you find like really grabs your attention? Are you like, oh, I love vampires or, or like home invasions are my jam? Home invasions actually are the one that like resonates with me. I, th- I guess I'm scared of it happening in real sure. life. So it's yeah. like a nice way to watch it happen and not affect me. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you get that catharsis. Don't even have to really live with it, baby. That's right. Yeah, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that like the catharsis of horror was such a big part of it. And I had avoided because of the fear. But then you go through the fear and you're like, oh, it feels kind of cool on the other side. <laughs> it's also nice because I actually was the same way. I came to horror not that long ago and when you're growing up and you're like reading stuff about horror movies the stuff you come up with in your your head is a thousand times worse than anything they could actually capture on screen (laughs) and so you watch these movies and you're like oh it is still scary but like not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. Right. I find that I do that a lot. I make current choices on like younger me's feelings. So it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I was scared when I was eight and then I never revisited. So it's like, <laughs> of course, I'm going to stay scared of this stuff. Well, the movie we're talking about today is terrifying. <laughs> Horrifying. Yes. I'm sure your audience will be like, this fits right in. <laughs> well, we're talking about Hubie Halloween, the 2020 movie directed by Stephen Brill, written by frequent collaborators Tim Herlihy and Adam Sandler, who met as roommates in NYU, I learned. Oh, very cool. Okay. Damn. Great to have a return to form from the Sandman. I, like many, <laughs> grew up on movies like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Airheads. Are you generally like a a Sandler fan? Yes, I think so. I think he's probably my, like I didn't know it, but probably my biggest comedic influence. You know, I've seen all those movies you mentioned a hundred (laughs) times. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny too, when you, so many people think of him for like just those movies, but I mean, he has great stand-up CDs and stuff. I remember having, they're all going to laugh at you and everything. Yes. Yes. It was really awesome. To have this movie come out and be like, oh, yeah, this is like classic Sandler. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's really like on purpose goofy. You know, I would even say that like I could see why a lot of people really wouldn't like this movie because it just feels like friends goofing around. But that's kind of what I like about it. I like that it's sort of more approachable and a little bit uh, sillier. It almost feels like community theater, but in a movie. Yeah, Yeah, I, I just always feel like I'm willing to give him a chance. You know, I wept at the end of Click. Uh, ah. The Longest Yard remake was fun. And of course, the newest stuff, you got Unka Jams and Hustle. Hustle was great as well. I loved Hustle, yes. But what stands out to me is that there's a certain joie de vivre that the Sandman gets when he's doing something with the language of horror. Uh, not only Hubie, but there are even good like Hotel Transylvanias. I'd go so far as to say Hotel Transylvania 3 is a great animated movie. Oh, I yeah, I haven't seen that one. I got to check it out. But there's a lot of funny comedians in that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Andy Samberg is the other uh, like male lead in those, and, and he's killing it as well all of the usual gang is there Bashemi and kevin james and everything so and it's great and sandler himself has discussed this he said i certainly had the best time of my life growing up with halloween and my kids enjoy it more than anything it's the whole october of it all and getting the pumpkins out and putting this stuff up on the house and figuring out what the heck you're gonna wear that year as a kid it was exciting getting to run around with my friends and trying to get as much candy and your parents were cool with you eating a lot of candy and it was by far for me the highlight 
of the year, he was saying. And and I think that it comes across. You know, I think that there is a real joy and love for the holiday that does kind of come through in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely feels like they wrote the movie, but it's like, oh, this is just such a general idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are all the things that I love about Halloween? Let's do that. It almost felt in similar in tone to um, Ernest Saves Halloween to me, yes. where it's like that purposefully stupid. You know, at the end of that movie, I think they vanquish all the demons by shooting them with milk. <laughs> out <Right>, of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, Miak. And, and I liked it in that same way where it was like clearly made for kids, but sort of a wink to adults of like, remember when you didn't care that much if the acting was real or if the wigs looked good, you know? Absolutely. And when he, when he was asked about the direct influences on this movie, he called out things that definitely call that to mind. Uh, Hocus Pocus was one. Mm. The Burbs was another that he called out. And of course, there is some just Halloween in here. But most importantly, he called out Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which he said was something that they were really trying to recreate with Hubie. And that that was the best thing. Just Lou Costello being scared of Dracula or Frankenstein or Wolfie. That's what we were looking to do. Just making a goofy movie where my character is afraid of everything. The fact that Halloween is the backdrop for it made it fun. It was a ripe environment. When he's wandering through the um the like haunted house and he's just like screaming at everything, that's yes. that's great. I love that shit. <laughs> yeah, they they created such a fun character to be spooked. You know what I mean? So for him to just like they created such a guy who gets kicked all the time. And so it makes so much sense for him also to be scared of everything, you know, because he never feels safe. Nobody's ever right. got his back. And it is so fun to watch this guy with some sort of weird accent that we can't quite pin <laughs> uh, freak out all the time just at anything. Yeah, he's capturing some of that water boy energy. A lot of the canteen boys coming through. Adam said, this came from when I was young, I think. I used to do that voice. And it's basically a guy who gets picked on a lot, and he tries to stand up for himself, but he doesn't really say his comebacks too loud. He mutters them. So he feels like he's being bold, but he's kind of saying it low enough that he doesn't really get in trouble. And I think this totally works for me. You know, like you said, there's a lot of earnest in this. It feels like it is updating a classic character, classic, like, uh, archetype. For a modern day like this, it felt like it slotted right into that sort of gap. Yeah, it felt like that same kind of similar character, but like modern, everyone around him was updated, you know, right. like the kids were modern and like now it's modern kids picking on him and uh, other adults and stuff, which I feel like you didn't see that as much back in the day, like that the rest of the adults would pick on the town <laughs> loser. They'd be like, hey, kids, be nice or whatever. But spoiler alert, I guess that mm. comes in later. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Hubie Halloween was shot by Seamus Tierney in Salem, Danvers, Marblehead, and Beverly. And he said, quote, we shot for 40 days and did not stop to breathe once. <laughs> it feels like that. The whole thing does feel pretty hectic. Like, yeah. every scene has a lot of people in it. Oh, yeah. And he, I thought it was interesting that they chose the specific camera that they did, which was the DXL2, because they were specifically looking at the amount of digital effects that they were going to need. And that included even turning the leaves to autumn colors because they shot in July. So it was summer and they were like, all right, we got to make it look like it's it's October now. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. And as far as the general look of things, Tierney said two things of note. First, he said... We talked a lot about making it look like an 80s movie, which let us have a little bit more pop in the colors. It didn't have to be so naturalistic. I wanted it to be darker, more saturated, with richer colors, and juxtapose the comedy against that. We allowed ourselves to have a little more fun with it because of the subject matter and because it's an Adam Sandler movie. And having that kind of freedom to take like throwback chances like that, something that, you know, somebody who doesn't have the star power cachet that Adam Sandler does, you know, they might not be able to make those choices. And I think that it does work and you get to see why it's it's fun to take these swings like that. Yeah, not to be too much of an artist, but Halloween is really its own character here. <laughs> And, so true. and we really appreciate it. But it does feel like if this wasn't a Halloween movie, it would be so thin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like his char <laughs> his character is it's like as dumb as the water boy, but it's not quite as fleshed out as the water boy, if you can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so it is funny. It's like it really is like in service of the whole Halloween vibe, it, kind of like yeah. how Christmas movies feel like 
movies with an asterisk, you know, where you're like, <laughs> it's a movie, but it's like a Christmas movie. Like it's meant to be watched on TV. You know, yeah. it, it has that vibe to it. Exactly. Exactly. And he also said, Perry Blake is an amazing production designer and his team always had accents we could throw in the background. I wanted as much scope as possible. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to throw holiday lights around a bush two blocks away and add a little twinkle back there. And we would excite each other to a fever pitch, trying to make sure it would be a Halloween film and not just a straight up comedy. Exactly what you were saying. You know, it, the fact that it is sort of pushing along that spirit of Halloween feeling is is what it's all about. Because like, it, yeah, it would be a little thin, but because you're there to get that vibe plus some laughs. Right. It works. Yeah. And I feel like you just don't see that that often because I mean, how many seasonal movies can they make? It can't be 30%, you know, but, but it, it is kind of rare and it's nice to see done well because I'm never like, I'm craving a Halloween movie, but then when one hits, it's like, Oh yeah, this is every single year, a thing I celebrate, you know, and yeah. it is nice to have sort of a, a touchstone for that. And I don't, I don't think I have really a Halloween touchstone. I mean, there are, of course, the Halloween classics and stuff like that. But in in uh, recent history, I don't feel like there's a, a, a movie I think of for Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. Other cast members in this include a bunch of the Sandman's classic troupe. You got Colin Quinn as a janitor, Maya Rudolph and Tim Meadows as Lester and Mary Hennessy. Rob, the bad opinion haver Schneider, pops up. Uh, Kevin James as Sergeant Steve Downey, and Steve Buscemi as Walter Lambert, who I think is a standout, even in a cast that is really, I think... Hitting it pretty hard for, for comedians. <laughs> Absolutely. They're all hitting it, hitting it pretty hard along with the wig department. They are yes. really like nobody's hair looks normal, which I oh. think is a really fun treat. <laughs> you know, it's just like every time someone's on screen, you're kind of already laughing. Mm -hmm. Like Tim Meadows is in the craziest uh, costume where he's in like a he's been beheaded. So yeah. the costume is taller than his body and his head looks like it's being held in his own hands. Perfect. And I just laugh. Every time it comes on screen, it's just so funny to me. And then later, when he's out of that crazy costume, he has an insane hairpiece. Yes. Wait, that wasn't real hair? I don't think so. <laughs> oh. oh, I guess they got one over on me. I don't think that's part of the trick, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> It also features a few happy Gilmore reunions. Most front and center, of course, is Julie Bowen as Violet Valentine, Hubie's love interest, plus some fun minor appearances that we'll shout out as we go. And this came out early in the pandemic, October 7th, 2020. And I remember it feeling really nice to just have something like fun and light that still made it feel like Halloween, even though everything was so different. Having, like you said, a new touchstone kind of thing, something that was light and that you could throw on and, and uh, just kind of sink into felt right, you know? Totally. Absolutely. And it was, yeah, it was it was cool right at that time of the year where it gets a little bit cooler. You're, you're excited for like a movie night. And then this Halloween movie comes out. It was perfect. I'm actually friends with Betsy Sodaro, who's in the movie. She has that scene with Shaq, of course, yes. which was like so cool. And we all watched it together. And it was so exciting because Betsy is an absolute horror freak. So this kind of like fit the genre, but it's also comedy, which, you know, comedy freak as well. Sure. And she gets to do a scene with Shaq where they like make out. And so it was just like <laughs> the craziest confluences of like, like awesome and i because i'm obsessed with shack sure. uh, who is it? <laughs> yeah exactly. O'Neal. he's the man of our generation in my opinion <laughs> but uh it was so cool to watch it all together and and feel like we were celebrating multiple things at once <laughs> you know oh yeah it was so fun i mean i remember so betsy has also been on this show big fan of hers amazing comedian of course and yeah you see these these comedians who who you're like oh i know that they love horror and so it's so exciting for them to get to like be in these kind of movies yeah it was exciting but this is a four-quadrant film, baby. <laughs> lots of uh, jokes for mom and dad, lots of jokes for little Susie and Billy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little hard to say how it did, because Netflix famously doesn't release any info, but it stayed in their top 10 for a long time, so by their metrics, pretty successful. And people liked it. The general population enjoyed it, even if some critics were mixed. Uh, even, the, But then also, even the critics were like, eh, it's fine. Like, it's good. Like, for, for what it's doing, it's doing it pretty well. So... A success, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, I think that that asterisk of like, well, for what they're trying, they're doing a great job because it's if you judge it against all the other normal film genres, it is like 
why are they goofing around so much? <laughs> you know, but for that type of movie, I think they're really nailing it. They're, they're riding a fine line of like, if they're much goofier, it gets really hard to watch, you know, mm-hmm. but if they're mm-hmm. much more serious, it's like, God, do these guys not know they're in a stupid movie? So I, <laughs> I feel like him even doing the voice is like, Hey, we get it. Like this yeah. is intentionally dumb. You got to come for that ride. You know, it's it, it, like, we're going to take care of you. We know it's stupid and this is how stupid it's going to be. Exactly. I think it does the exactly what I want in terms of so much of like superhero movies, let's say, for example, is them being like, we know that it's crazy that these people in like spandex suits are <laughs> flying around and stuff. So we're uncomfortable with that. And we have to wink at the camera and say, yeah, we know it's stupid. But this movie just knows it. Yes. It says, I trust you to also understand what we're doing here. And that trust in the audience is what makes you willing to go along with it, in my opinion, at least. I love that. Yeah, totally. It's like the wink is sort of there, but they didn't stop to actually look at the camera in that corny way. You know, yeah. it's, that that trust really does, I think, is part of what endears me to the movie. You know, and they have so many funny, fun people having so much fun that it's like, well, all of these people couldn't be missing the mark. <laughs> I must just need to lean in and get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maya Rudolph also, I mean, one of my favorites, one of the all-time greats to me is so funny in this movie. She's great. Oh, my God. Shutting down Tim Meadows at every corner. Amazing. (laughs) He is so tragically sad. (laughs) Maybe the only person sadder than uh, than (laughs) Yubi. And even sadder because he doesn't know it. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So let's get into the actual movie. Opens up with another one of those uh, Billy Madison, not Billy Madison, excuse me, Happy (laughs) Gilmore reunions. We get... Ben Stiller back as Hal L transferred to the Westford State Mental Hospital <laughs> from uh, from the assisted living that he was working at previously. Hal L, the deliverer of my favorite line in that movie, you could trouble me for a warm glass and shut the fuck up or shut the hell up. <laughs> yes, yes. Now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping duty. Yeah, that's mine. <laughs> uh, he is great. Yeah. And he reveals that Richard Hartman has made their escape, creating a body double out of Jello with hot dogs for a face. And there's a little dick and balls down there as well, which is really funny. <laughs> uh, and the message by. And uh, this was maybe overthinking it, but Richard Hartman, I thought maybe an allusion to Richard Bachman. Oh, yeah. Similar sort of uh, tone. Of course, that is Stephen King's uh, pseudonym that he used to test if he was actually a good writer or if people <laughs> bought them because they were Stephen King books. Right. So, yeah, a little uh, nod. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and we get the title card. Monster Mash plays as, as uh, Hubie bikes through his neighborhood listening to the radio. Halloween is upon us, he yells, and truly it is. (laughs) People don't seem to like him much. They're staring and throwing eggs at him. We get funny exorcist-style projectile vomit in the first two minutes from his Rocky (laughs) Balboa-style breakfast. Uh, Yeah, they really set the tone early of, like, everybody's going to hate him. He's good at dealing with it, but also he throws up. It's it's like, this guy's a little bit of a mess. Yeah. And he's got a big crush on Violet Valentine. It's a fun intro to her as he crashes, then pretends to be a robot. And she (laughs) seems to find him a little more amusing than the rest of the town, giving a little smile at his shenanigans. You know what's funny is when when she comes in, I was like, oh, that's the lady from Happy Gilmore. As if I haven't been like seeing her on Modern <laughs> Family for the last 10 years also. But it took me so long to make that connection that Julie Bowen is both of those people. <laughs> I mean, it took me a while as well. And, and it it is funny that like, yeah, she is so ubiquitous. I mean, that's a hugely popular sitcom and everything. Right. But like, you know, you grow up on these movies and you're like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's her. Happy look out. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> He works in the local deli where he's tormented by Ray Liotta as Pete Landolfa calls him pubie. Ray rocks in this. I mean, he is just yes. so funny. The perfect mean guy, bad guy. I mean, just it, it's so funny. Like late in his career, I feel like he did a bunch of comedic stuff that was like, oh, yeah, he sort of turned his classic asshole thing on its head a little bit. Sure. And just played that as comedy. Yeah. <laughs> And he pranks Hubie with uh, with his coworker Mike pretending to be a lamb's head, which that was hysterical to me yeah. when he cuts to the rubber head down there and it screams. Yes. Does seem a little risky to do around power slicers, though, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of risky behavior in this movie. One of the other things, like, people in this movie should have died tons of times, but it's just sort of that magical, like, okay, next scene. <laughs> yep, exactly. No time to think about it. Right, right. <laughs> 
Mike is played by uh, Karen Brar, who stepped into the role, actually, when his best friend and member of the Grown Ups cast passed away due to epilepsy complications. And so uh, he had to step into this role. I think he does a great job with it. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, again, perfect kind of asshole <laughs> vibes. <laughs> yes. He, he does a great job. Officer Steve is warned that Richard Hartman is coming to Salem specifically, but he's interrupted by Hubie. And again, just the shot of like just his mouth talking through the opening at the very top. <laughs> just a little stuff really slayed me in this. Yeah, there's a lot of really good comedic choices. Like there's not a lot of scenes that are just there. You know, mm-hmm. it, like each one of them is is kind of thought about really specifically and, and, and uh, yeah, has a good joke. Good comedic lens behind it. Absolutely. The O'Doyles chase him home. They throw flaming bags of crap at him and a wrench. <laughs> I think I missed that the first time I watched it, but then I watched a special thing about it, and then I heard them talk about it and say, O'Doyle rules, as they run <laughs> off. It made me pretty happy. Yeah, that's fun. That's a nice reoccurring bit, of course, through all of his movies. And this bit in particular, them throwing the stuff at him, uh, persists and escalates through the movie in a very funny way. The stuff gets heavier and heavier as it gets hurled at him. <laughs> There's a spear at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a huge wrench. Things yeah. that are like, and at the beginning, he's. I I love his bottle. His, what, what is it? What would you call? It? Or like the his thermos, thermos yeah. right? His thermos is like a. Um, inspector gadget type thing where it can just do everything it can like blend it's a grappling hook it has heat it has everything (laughs) a vacuum's in there yeah right right. Uh, a bit like a swiss army thermos hubie says (laughs) he built it in the scouts um adam sandler actually said about it we kept building and building on it we thought it would be fun that he walked around with a lot of soup and that he enjoyed soup (laughs) and then we started saying Maybe it'd be nice if he, you know, was in the scouts growing up and he had figured out a way to make his thermos a little flashy and come up with some contraptions in there. And then every day we would go, what if this happens? And so we added about 10 different things to the thermos. And I mean, it totally works as just something to have in your back pocket. Whenever you need something to happen, you go, well, how's how's Hubie going to get out of this one? Yeah. Boom. Here comes the thermos. Yeah, it's perfect. And it's like a fun little callback. Like once you like the joke once, they just keep feeding it to you for the rest of the movie. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like it every time. <laughs> yeah. And he's dusted off by new neighbor Walter, who comments on the thermos. We also get a look at Hubie's incredibly decorated house, including an old school <laughs> ghost, they say. <laughs> it's so funny to me when Walter gets, I wouldn't even call it like defensive, but he's like, by the way, if you hear any commotion from my place, it's fine. Don't check it out. He just like gets ahead of it out <laughs> yes. of nowhere. Yes. Being super suspicious the whole time, basically. <laughs> just being like, don't investigate this, but you should investigate this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There will be noises. <laughs> right. Don't worry about it. And there's not a worse person to tell other than the Halloween monitor. I mean, oh he's got to check up. He's got to. And inside is Hubie's delightful mother, played by June Squibb. Outrageously good in this movie. So funny. She's just like so easy to watch. And the bit of her having a crazy shirt every time <laughs> you see her is so perfect. Like she's got a different graphic tee with a sort of disgusting <laughs> phrase on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. She loves to buy cheap shirts from the thrift store. And yeah, every time she shows up, there's a new one. This one says boner donor, which she doesn't get or she claims <laughs> not to. Right. Hubie had to come from somewhere. But she also encourages Hubie to stand up to his bullies right as that night Hartman is standing outside their driveway and peeing on it, marking his territory. (laughs) (laughs) Like most rational people do. Exactly, exactly. The next morning, Violet is watching Good Morning Boston, which all three news people we see are dressed as Harley Quinn, which is really funny. (laughs) Yes, yes, I love that joke. And then it comes up later, too, right? Like a couple other people are dressed as Harley Quinn. (laughs) It's like, what's the dumbest costume of the year? (laughs) Everybody's gonna be it. Yeah, and one of them, actually, uh, the woman, uh, Tracy Phillips, who's the actual uh, news anchor there, is the Sandman's wife, and Violet's two daughters, Danielle and Cookie, are his actual kids as well. That's cool. I think that's a cute little thing. (laughs) I like it. I think that it works, especially because apparently Leota, Stiller, and James's kids also appear throughout the movie, and so... I think it's fun to have this like second generation of the Sandler troupe like running around and having a good time. Sandler said about his own children, quote, they both want to do it until we're doing it. It's always like, can I do this? <laughs> then I'm like, yeah, great, man. And then we get there and it's like, how long do we have to do this? <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell happened? You were so excited last night. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to be famous, but nobody wants to go to work. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> 
Violet's son, Tommy, is played by Noah Schnapp, a.k.a. Will from Stranger Things is probably what most people know him from. Yes. Brings a little bit of uh, feeling into the into the show. A little more used to seeing him a little more serious. It's nice. Yeah, I think yeah. he's good. Exactly. And it's funny also to see Hubie's mom and her friend like waving at the camera when the mayor is talking. <laughs> Just classic <laughs> news stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Peanut the pig has been murdered, and Officer Steve finds a flower from the bush that Hubie's mom planted at the scene. And meanwhile, Hubie runs into Violet, who's chaperoning her daughter's field trip. She reveals that she has been divorced to Officer Steve for four years, but Hubie overcorrects in his crush, and he's like, oh, you guys will get through it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what? No. No, the the story is we did not, and it's over. (laughs) (laughs) She also tells him that Walter is on the Lambert tombstone in the cemetery, but that there's something weird about it, and he should go check it out. And when he does, he finds that there is no death date from his birth in 1661. Oh, my God. I know. Terrifying. (laughs) Ray Liotta also shoves Hubie into an open grave here, which is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So there are just so many good ways that Hubie gets shit on, and he, like, eternally has such a good attitude about it. That you could watch it happen a thousand times. <laughs> he does give an Undertaker a heart attack from in there, though, which, you know, <laughs> Hubie's a murderer. As yeah, well. <laughs> geez. Send him to jail. Yeah. Um, he uh, Walter is nailing up boards to his windows, and Hubie asks how old he is. And first he asks, in human years, <laughs> and then says, I don't really keep track. Again, just more suspicious. Uh, Hubie gives a Halloween safety presentation to the elementary school, including Violet's daughter, Cookie. So funny when he, like, haunts his way up as the pea-stained <laughs> ghost costume. Uh, and then also, I mean, look, it's simple, but his reaction to the zombie kid, like, just screaming at yes, him. Yes, yes. great. It's great stuff. Yeah, you don't often see the main character of a movie get super frightened and get to watch <laughs> that, you know, because, like... It's a weird waste of time, but because it's comedic, you get to watch it a million times in this movie. <laughs> and yeah, it always gets me. It always gets me that like the main character that we're watching is so stupid. You know, like <laughs> like you have to sort of go like, okay, I'm following this guy. I'm kind of putting myself in his shoes. And then you remember how dumb he is. And you're like, what am I even watching? <laughs> Dusk falls. Everyone is prepping for Halloween festivities. Uh, Violet's kids are all getting their tinfoil costumes put together. <laughs> Hubie's mom is stacking the candy closet. The escaped lunatic is putting on a pig mask. All the classic things. Yeah, they. I mean, they're, the pig thing is some good sort of horror imagery to me. Of like, that was the one thing where I was like, "What is this? Where is this going?" It. it I am a little freaked out by this, <laughs> if I can be honest. Yeah, just having this like threat wandering the the suburbs like that. I mean, that is literally what Halloween is leveraging the terror of. Like the right. original Halloween movie is all about just like evil comes home and yes. and and what that means. So it it is sort of a great throwback to that, especially to have it be uh, this like counterweight to the comedy that's been happening. Yes, it definitely feels like th- though this movie is not an, a true horror movie that they it is a like a loving homage to because it it doesn't feel like they don't know what they're doing. It feels like they know what all the tropes are, they know what the genre is, but then they're making comedic choices off of it rather than just following through with that actual scare choice. Exactly. That's a version is where the comedy is coming from. Right, right, absolutely. Hubie's mom has a bad feeling about him going out to monitor things this year. She also reveals his middle name is Schubert, which makes him Hubie Shuby Doobie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just perfect. I like what you were saying earlier about Adam Sandler being like, well, what if this happens? What if this yeah. happens? I love the spirit of that. And you can really tell that the whole movie is that of just like, mm, it, it doesn't have to be that, but could it be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I Could love his that. name be Hubie Shooby Dooby? Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, what else are we going to make it? Like, Mark? No. Make it Hubie Shooby Dooby. He also literally saves a cat, which is funny, and then <laughs> the owner is ungrateful. And Violet rolls up on the way to work at the diner and threatens to kick her ass. One of my favorite small bits from this entire movie is that the cat's jaw drops and eyes go wide as well. Yes. And, like, it looks terrified. Great. Like, that's one that really could slip right past you, and and it's great. Yeah, it really is. It really is, again, like, the attention to detail of it, of, like, how did they even... That took way too much time, (laughs) you know, for them to get that silly of a joke. Hubie botches his opportunity to ask her out, though. 
And this is where Tim Meadow shows up in his great, very real hairdo, reporting some weird <laughs> noises coming from Walter's house. And Hubie goes to check, but they're screaming and pounding, and he almost leaves, but he gathers his courage, and he breaks into the house with his trusty screw-driving thermos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the fifth or sixth use of the thermos, surely, yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he used it as a vacuum. There's been all kinds of great stuff. <laughs> and he falls into the basement, and the thermos turns into a flashlight, illuminating some dog food, some giant turds, and some deep scratches in the wall. And Tierney said that this Xenon flashlight was the only actual light source. He said, quote, I was like, this has got to be super bright. It has to light the whole scene. And then it came time to actually shoot with it. And I ended up actually having to gel it down. I probably could have gone with a much dimmer light. But, you know, better safe than sorry. <laughs> and so there you go. <laughs> I like that. I like, yeah, source material light. And as Hubie explores, he finds Walter, who is looking pretty scary there. <laughs> and he leaps with superhuman agility out of the basement. It's fun. I also like that this plot line, not to spoil it too hard, but like he like does werewolfy things like yeah. it, it like there are like supernatural elements to it. And then yes. they're just like, no, nah, he's just a guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it will gloss over that brush out under the rug. Uh, yeah. That didn't happen. Yeah. But again, they don't give you time really to think about it. And that's the beauty of the pace that it keeps. I mean, right. it, it totally works. And I like these scare moments. I like the rug pull at the end with his character. It's just all really working for me. It's kind of got a similar like comedic slash scary tone of uh, like Scooby-Doo, you mm -hmm. know, where it's like intentionally really stupid and like so heavily leaning on those trope and genre sure. things. Shooby-dooby. Yeah, shooby-dooby. That's right. <laughs> a shooby snack. <laughs> That's the soups. <laughs> he heads to the police station where Officer Steve duplicitously makes Hubie an auxiliary undercover unit which means they can't talk because then it would be obvious. <laughs> so just drop a log in the trash can by City Hall, he says, which is, of course, a euphemism for poop. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't pick up on that one, that's what that yeah. meant. There's a lot of pretty subtle stuff in the movie, so we yeah, didn't want anybody yeah. to miss anything. <laughs> Speaking of the, of the police chief and subtle things, his wig is my favorite wig of the whole piece. Kevin James's wig is my favorite one because it is. it looks like they got it 80% of the way on and they were like, stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't get it too tight on my head. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just riding all over the place. I think it looks to me like they got it from the musical cats and it's just like a full mane that yes. comes into the beard as well. Yeah. They cut the mane and made that the sideburns. Yeah. <laughs> Cookie and Danielle are shocked to discover that Tommy, their brother, has snuck out to a party he heard about from his barista crush, Megan. And they come to this party scene. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this party scene is that the kids are like legit stoked about the performance from an insane band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody really seems to like get the point of each scene. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's such a subtle but huge choice, you know? Yeah. And the lead singer of this band is Adam Sandler's nephew, Jared. How about Ooh, that? Congratulations, Jared. Yeah. It paid off having your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> you worked really hard to have your uncle yeah. be Adam Sandler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hubie tried to break the party up, though, and as a prank, some of the high schoolers, including his deli coworker, Mike, tell him that a kid got lost in the corn maze. And this corn maze was a real exterior that required careful planning from the earliest stages of pre-production. And the filmmakers made the maze themselves. They planted the corn during prep and they let it grow, which is crazy, but it looks great. So yeah, that's pretty off. cool. Yeah, I like that. And they shot in the maze over two nights, which Tierney mentioned was the only set that they were on for more than one day, but that they still had to hustle. He said, Gaffer Rick Thomas, Key Grip, Jeff Kunkel, and I were like, how do we light this so that we can work quickly without having to move lights? And so we built this big moon box on a 300-foot construction crane. So we had to get the Army Corps of Engineers to come in and make sure we could put it in this cornfield. And the moon box was on chain motors, so it could tilt in four directions, and it allowed us to just keep shooting. It saved us a lot of time and really helped make our days. And I mean, again helpful to have a name like adam sandler be there to get you this 300 foot crane to light your giant ass cornfield you know right right trust me it's going to be easier if we do it this huge crazy way yeah yeah that's but that's cool that's cool to have a little window into that i like that on a movie this stupid they still had to have smart people make it yeah the, the problem you know? solving is no joke for sure yes yeah 
Tommy and Megan go after Hubie to tell him it's a prank, but there's someone else in the maze, too. And it's Mike who punches Tommy and flees to continue fucking with Hubie. But suddenly, he's screaming for real as we see him from the masked perspective, which uh, also very Halloween to have that uh, masked perspective there. Yeah, you kind of feel like you're inside of a jack-o'-lantern, right? That's right. sort of the yeah the intended thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although you're all like, it also feels like it could be the pig because right. uh, although yes. you don't realize uh, right. it is the jack-o'-lantern until much later. Mm. Yes, right, right, right. Hubie gets set straight by Tommy and Megan, but then after letting them have a head start in the name of romance, walks the wrong direction and gets lost himself. Great, cool shot of the moon. They said that was actually real, and they just got lucky with the cloud cover looking that way, but it looks fucking cool. Oh, wow, yeah, it looks so meticulously planned. And finally, he finds Mike gagged with a cob of corn who gets dragged into the stalks, and when Hubie pursues, all he finds is the fake Freddie Mercury teeth and a ticket to the drive-in. Which I thought this this shot was like a cool, better-than-this-movie shot. <laughs> where where he gets yanked into the corn like that. It mm-hmm. looks like one of those classic, like, yanked off the train tracks or whatever. Yeah. But they do it again at the end with, he's in the clown wig, right? Ray Liotta. They kind of do the same thing where he's, like, pulled into darkness. Yeah, uh, and it's it, cool. And cool, yeah. And it also it feels a little signsy as well to be running around in that cornfield and everything, so that's fun. Totally, yeah. It definitely has, like, oh, this is creepy in a familiar way. Yeah. Yeah. He heads there to investigate, to the drive-in, that is, but he gets pranked again by Mary and Lester Hennessy, and chased into a moonlit pumpkin patch where a disheveled and hairy Walter is chowing on a pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) Again, hinting that he's a little creepy, a little weird. Something's going on. Someone needs to pay attention to him. (laughs) (laughs) There's a wide shot with the moon between them, and they said that that's actually the cinematographer's balloon light that they used to light the scene in general, which then got adjusted by the VFX later. So that was cool. Oh, funny, huh? Yeah. Officer Steve is finally taking Hubie's report of a missing kid seriously after he got a call from the parents, but in classic Jaws style, the mayor, played fantastically by George Wallace, refuses to close anything in pursuit of those sweet, sweet tourism dollars, baby. (laughs) He's great. I love the scene where he's doing the trick-or-treat, smell my feet Uh, part. Yeah, I mean, and he's, I'd watch him do anything. Anything he says, I'm laughing. (laughs) Hubie checks in at the diner for a clam chowder, chicken noodle, and split pea soup with A1 sauce, all combined in his thermos. (laughs) Too many soups, Hubie. Too many soups. (laughs) Truly, I think it might be like the worst possible combination because it's two very thick soups. (laughs) And A1 sauce? Uh, (laughs) Truly disgusting. Violet mentions that she hasn't heard from her kids, so Hubie excuses himself. Meanwhile, Mester and M- Mester, Mary and Lester Hennessy <laughs> are stopped by a scarecrow in the road, but she looks down at her phone and suddenly Lester is gone. And when she investigates as well, his inhaler is in the scarecrow, but she gets pulled into the bushes too. Ah. Oh my God. <laughs> Walter is running home. One of my favorite bits about this Walter character is his like maintaining the pleasantries while struggling when he's like running there and he's like, shame what they did to your lawn. <laughs> yes. He's in the middle of having like a werewolf freak out pretty much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he says that to Mrs. Dubois. He passes. It's literally a flame. There's like a flaming effigy in the middle of their lawn. It's completely TP'd. <laughs> and Walter cuffs himself to the fridge. It's funny. Cause like, Genuinely, it feels like Walter is in a different movie sometimes, and it's like, I like that. I like that that's happening, because like there will just be scenes of him, the lights will get real dark and shadowy, and he'll be like at these Dutch angles and everything, and you're like, oh yeah, this is like a real, like they're going for the aesthetic of horror here. Yes, absolutely. And it also feels like a weird sea story in a TV show, where it's like a character we've known a long time that's on a (laughs) weird thing this week. That's but right. like, but we don't know this guy, so it's, right. it's weirder that it's like, oh, this movie feels like a separate part of the movie. Yeah, that's right. This is his Ben Horn is refighting the Civil War in Twin Peaks, basically. That's right. So. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it's he does that just in time to be approached by Richard Hartman, who finally pulls off his mask to reveal Rob Schneider, who wants to talk with Walter. Tommy and Megan make it home, and Hubie reveals that he spotted the kids coming home through a hidden passageway that only he and his buddy, Richie Hartman, used to know about. And when we had last seen Cookie and and Elizabeth, they were approaching Richie innocently, asking for directions, which I kind of glossed over. But 
They were yeah. in danger, theoretically. Yes, right, sure. We felt it. We all felt yes. it. We're yes. all gripped by the danger of this movie, for sure. I felt like that's why I had to double back and make sure that I brought it up. Good, good. You're very <laughs> thorough. And he goes out to make sure everyone is protected, but not before taking a massive dump in their toilet. <laughs> Funny that the thermos is also a candle for the bathroom. <laughs> yes. What isn't it, really? It's, it's, <laughs> that's perfect. He hears some howling, though, and he says, that's got to be Walter. And he finds a dog that he talks to like it's Walter, which is very funny. <laughs> Getting angry when it poops in front of him and then eats it. He's <laughs> like, you're above that, Walter. <laughs> well, finally, somebody's like realizing how weird Walter's getting. You're yeah. like, okay, good. Someone is finally playing this real. <laughs> and the dog runs into the haunted house. Hubie is scared, but he has to pursue as the Halloween monitor. I love when he's like... Well, he's like touching stuff to see if it's real when he's like passing stuffed things in the in the chair and everything. Yes, yes. Really great. He finds the dog and throws a silver bullet at it, which it eats. <laughs> <laughs> and runs out to its owner, which is the teacher from the elementary school. So obviously not Walter after all. But Hubie is a wrecking ball in the haunted house. He's screaming in terror. He maces a dentist at one point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is his worst nightmare. He's he's constantly trying to not be scared, and then we walk him through his worst spot. Mr. Landolfa is hitting on the teacher, but she brushes it off. So he says, all right, I'm going to go take it out on Hubie. <laughs> the matter of factness of it, pretty great. Yeah, he's like the whipping boy for the whole town. Like, anytime someone's mad, it's like, where's Hubie? I need to let this out. <laughs> Yeah, he is, like you said, grabbed right before Hubie's eyes. And now everyone is starting to get freaked out because they also found the abandoned car on the road. So that's now four people missing. Officer Steve gets a call from the station. Walter Lambert and Richie Hartman turned themselves in because apparently they were roommates at the werewolf treatment center together. (laughs) (laughs) And Richie broke out to convince him to come back. Mm -hmm. So if they've been in custody for an hour, who did it? all eyes fall on Hubie who's been around all of them and they were all people who messed with him so he does the old Frankenstein trick and it works and he flees into the woods crap is still getting thrown at him even by the bears which is very funny (laughs) Hubie gets what he gets he's not getting away from that (laughs) one of those bears co-writer Steve Hurley oh there you go there you go and Hubie makes his way to the radio station WTCH Turns out the sultry voice of DJ Aurora we've been hearing all along was Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Big man, goat tier. We love it. Absolutely. And I don't know if you caught those call letters. That is which, WTCH, oh. something which. Whoa. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good, folks. Again, very <laughs> subtle. These are the yeah. things that you need a podcast like this to pick up on. Exactly. I'm sure people are going back and doing the rewatch right now. Right yeah. now. <laughs> Hubie is in desperate need of advice, and they are joined by, like we said, friend of the show, Betsy Sidaro, who is his wife, Bunny. They lady and the tramp a sandwich together, and, and they tell <laughs> Hubie that there's someone who calls even more than him and wanted to dedicate a song to him tonight while she showed him how much he means to her. You know what they say about Chardonnay? Truth serum. <laughs> <laughs> and but, there's a great like voice bit where Shaq's voice is almost like the voice Betsy should have and her yeah. voice is the voice that he should have. He has like a hot, what, what did you say he hosts the show as? DJ Aurora. DJ Aurora, a sexy lady. And it's yeah. seven to 400 pounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of fun. He, he is basically doing the, um, what's, who, what's the name of the lady who played the chief on Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Oh, yes. I don't know, but I know, uh, yes. Yeah, it's her. She is the voice on the radio in The Warriors, and she kind of like interjects every now and then, and that's exactly what this character does as well. Mm-hmm. This sultry voice, it's really great. And then, yeah, this great sight gag when he looks in and you see Shaquille O'Neal there doing it. <laughs> really working for me. He feels caught. He's like, oh, no, they know the truth <laughs> of my voice. That must be how all radio hosts feel. Yeah, I think <laughs> they so. They saw yeah. me. They do the, the Bride, of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Bride of Frankenstein thing. Right. They give him the phone number, though, but it's a burner. So Hubie says the only person who might have a thing for him is Violet. And so they honeypot Violet, who is stoked to hear that Hubie loves her. And they try and implicate her with the phone, but she doesn't pick up. So she's legit, which is great news for everybody involved. Yes, yes. Big sigh of relief. Yes. <laughs> I remember, too, watching it the first time and being like, that would be kind of crazy if it was her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. 
I guess I didn't care about this, but glad to know it's not her. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is the person did pick up and they trace it to Hubie's house. Oh, my God. He steals a boat and head home. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. Right. <laughs> um, but he finds his mom isn't just healthy. She's also got a pumpkin mask and a glass of Chardonnay. What? The truth serum. The truth serum. <laughs> Out back, the victims are still alive, but they're tied to a pyre, a la the witch trials. And his mom apparently called the news, and she lights the match and throws it. But he throws the last drop of soup from his thermos as well. <laughs> and it's a perfect splash, douses the flames, and we're all thrilled. <laughs> the perfect use of the thermos, finally. Exactly. And the on, the real use of it, finally. Yes, <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. The soup container. <laughs> all it needed was soup. <laughs> They all keep making fun of him, though, which is also really, really funny. Yeah. And she's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you're caught. You're in cuffs. And you're, yeah. you're acting like you're winning? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she gives her big speech about how he's a nice boy. And they all reveal that they hate him for his hope. His hope. And she pulls the old Frankenstein trick, too, which is a great <laughs> callback. <laughs> and everybody is let free. And he confesses to the camera that he broke up with his Canadian girlfriend so that he can date Violet. The Canadian girlfriend bit, also very funny. I haven't mentioned yes. it, but him constantly being like, ah, she's in Toronto. You don't know her because she's from a different school yeah. type of thing. Yeah, definitely resonated with a young, my young self. <laughs> no, I have a girlfriend. You just never met her. <laughs> oh, this camp? You know, I went to sleepaway camp and, yeah. and I met a girl there, but she had to go back to her state, obviously. Of so. course. I love star-crossed lovers. <laughs> One year later, he is I, presumably married to Violet. That's the impression that I got. The kids are all dressed as members of the town, which is also very funny. <laughs> and he puts on a new sash. This one says, Mayor, wowie, the people like him now. Yeah. Good for you, Hubie. That was nice. A nice message to this that, you know, your mom should defend you and, and <laughs> stick up for all your fights. Exactly. And we're led out by the sounds of Bunny and DJ Aurora, Lady and the Tramping, some spaghetti and meatballs over the radio, <laughs> and then some, some cut Sandler bits over the credits, which was fun. Yeah, I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. You know, you exactly. just want to see how much fun they were having on set and really like, you know, at this point, it really does feel like watching your friends in these movies. You know, just if you've if you've been along for the ride like I have. I I don't know all the grown ups movies line for line or whatever, but I'm sure I've <laughs> <What>? seen. <laughs> I know, crazy, right? <laughs> but I'm sure I've seen like pieces of them all from TV, and definitely most of his movies I've caught. So it is like, oh, I've been watching these guys sort of like aging and doing comedy together for years. So it kind of feels like my uncles or something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that. Even uh, the, the the community is kind of like close knit through their mockery of Hubie. <laughs> yes. So like yes. having this as the bonding thing makes it feel like it is like a close group of friends just having a good time. I think it does create that feeling that you're talking about. And yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. But I won't say too much because now Ryan, we've reached the part of the show where we say why it's not just a good horror movie, but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. Oh, no. And I'm going to let you start. <laughs> this movie is fine, right? It's 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 fine. But it's not just fine. It's better than fine. It is the best horror movie of all time because you think you're there for the scares, which you get plenty of, but you really stay for the laughs. Mm. And just when you think you're watching a comedy, they get a good scare in there. Just when you think you're watching a good horror movie, you get a good laugh in there. And I think they do a really great job of keeping you happy the whole time. It's one of the rare movies that I watch that I'm actually like smiling while I'm watching it, even when it's not during the, the laughs, you know? And I also think that... Um, just a great a great cast that you've been watching for a long time and you're really going to love to see. It hits all the tropes of the horror movies, but gives them to you in a new, fresh way. Hell yeah. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is a perfect execution of a holiday movie. I think that, to your point, like... Sure, maybe at times you're like, oh, that's this is a fine movie. But you don't always want it to be like fucking hereditary in here. Like, I don't yes. want to have to deal with those emotions every single time. Having a nice light movie that is 
between 90 minutes and 120 minutes and you get to just throw it on and have a good time you know truly there are a lot of laughs in this movie for me i crack up during it i think it is very funny and for it to be accomplishing that while also yes i think there it is leveraging the aesthetic of horror movies it is using the sort of our knowledge of what happens in them against us to create those laughs i think that they're just doing a great job the cast like you said is fantastic and i think that when we talked about like how they are still having to problem solve and like do the puzzle of movie making it just all comes together in a really fun way And, you know, even before you picked this for the episode, I was thinking, I was like, I'm excited to watch Yubi again this Halloween. What more can you really ask for than to have created a new perennial watch? Yes, absolutely. A new, it's so rare to have like a new tradition movie, you know, like a Christmas story for Christmas every year. But this feels like the closest thing I have to a Halloween one of those. Because I'm not going to watch a scary Halloween movie every year and pretend to be surprised. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but but I'll have the same laughs over and over because they feel familiar and good and kind of warm, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And that's why this is the best horror movie ever made. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us talk about it, especially if you were waiting for more of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This was super fun. Please tell the folks where you they can find you, anything you got going on that you want to point them towards. Oh, thank you for having me, George. This was this was so, so fun to do. Well, every week I do a podcast called Man Dog Pod with my friend Dan Lippert. It's an improv and conversation podcast. We have a lot of great people from the comedic uh, like improv and sketch community on. And uh, we talk to them and do stories about stories and jokes about their lives and things. Uh, we also have listener voicemails that we do scenes off of. So you can call in and leave your own voicemail and you might end up on the podcast. And then the other thing I'm doing is with Big Grande. It's my sketch and improv group. You can check out all of our stuff out at BigGrandeWebsite.com. But we're going on tour starting in October 27th through November 12th. We're going to Chicago, Detroit, Toronto, Rhode Island, New York, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati, and Rochester, New York. So if you're any of those cities, uh, check us out. It should be a lot of fun. Absolutely cannot encourage you all to check out the Big Grande stuff enough because it is so, so funny. I caught you guys live while I was in Chicago. That was amazing. I've been listening to Teacher's Lounge from the word go, and it's all been great. You know, pound for pound, the most laughs that I've gotten, folks. So check out wow. everything that Ryan just named. Well, thank you so much, George. I appreciate it. And that's so funny. Now that you mention it, I remember you in the Chicago audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Face to face for the second time. Wow. <laughs> is nice so yeah as far as my plugs you can find me on twitter at little horror phl that username applies pretty much everywhere including instagram letterboxd and patreon if you're really enjoying the show check out the patreon there's all kinds of fun bonus episodes that we've done some of them are spotlights on other movies we've talked about synecdoche new york with michael swain recently Uh, mike mitchell came back to talk about the blob 1988 which is a, a goop classic we've also talked about things that don't necessarily have to fit into that category like we talked about video games before resident evil 2 doki doki literature club uh branson reese came by to talk about the 13 best animated horror shorts from 1929 to 1953 so truly anything and everything can be found over there and if you really don't want to spend any money the least you could do is rate and review folks (laughs) yes yes he deserves it this man is working hard and if you're listening just show him some love If you have any emails, send it to bestlittlemailbag at gmail.com. And that is pretty much it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.